0: You're in the Waterloop. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. This is Waterloop episode number 125, State of the Beach, 2021 edition. Healthy and resilient coastlines depend on action by states to properly manage development and prepare for climate change. While the Surfrider Foundation's 2021 State of the Beach report found only two-thirds of states performing at poor to adequate levels, nine states did improve their scores from last year. The highest-scoring states had strong policies for coastal building setbacks, restrictions on coastal armoring, limiting development in harm's way, and advancing progressive sea level rise policies, as discussed in this episode with Stephanie Seekich-Quinn. Coastal Preservation Manager at the Surfrider Foundation. Stephanie also explains why Gulf Coast and Great Lakes states have low grades, the role of the federal government in state actions, and how advocates can use the report to drive change. Before starting the conversation, I want to mention that Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet that depends on your interest and in our funders and sponsors. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from the Walton Family Foundation and Springpoint Partners. Waterloop is also supported through sponsorships by Hydroloop and High Sierra Showerheads. I'm going to talk briefly about these two companies that are advancing water sustainability and then start the podcast. You can also support Waterloop on Patreon. Thank you for listening. The Consumer Electronics Show is the largest and most influential technology event in the world. In 2020, water stole the show. That's when an in-home water recycling system called Hydroloop debuted. Hydroloop takes the water from showers and washing machines and then cleans it so it can be used again. Hydroloop was awarded Best of Innovation in the category for Sustainability, Eco Design, and Smart Energy and also won Best Startup, Best Sustainable Product, and the overall award for Best of the Best, beating more than 4,000 competitors. Water tech is hot thanks to Hydroloop. With Hydroloop, you can use water twice. Learn more at Hydroloop.com Right now, more than half of the United States is in some form of drought. It's not just out west. It's up in the Pacific Northwest, it's in the upper Midwest, there's drought in New England, and there's even dry conditions here in North Carolina where I live. Almost 80 million people live in some part of the country where there's drought. During times like this, every drop really does count. Showerheads are an easy way to conserve water in our homes. That's why I use High Sierra Showerheads at my house, and I'm really proud that they're a sponsor of this podcast. They carry the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency and use 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. They use just a gallon and a half a minute. So what does that come out to? For every minute you're in the shower, you're saving one gallon of water. You take a 10-minute shower. That's 10 gallons of water you have not used because you have High Sierra showerheads. Over the course of a month, that's 300 gallons of water that have been conserved. You're going to also save on your water bill and your energy bill. You can get 20% off using promo code Loop20 at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis, joined for this episode by Stephanie Seekich-Quinn. She is Coastal Preservation Manager for Surfrider Foundation. Stephanie, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I, I was telling you uh, that Surfrider is one of my favorite organizations. I've been a member, a uh, big supporter, just uh, really appreciate everything Surfrider does for our coasts and our beaches and our oceans. I'm a surfer myself, and so just a big fan of you guys and um, also been a fan of, of your State of the Beach report uh, that you've put out for a while. I think it's really great information uh, on on what's happening along our coasts. And that's what we're going to talk about today is your your state of the beach report for 2021. Um, so before we dive into maybe the findings for this year, how is it put together? What are kind of the, the the grades and all that based on? What do you all look at?
1: Right. That's a great question. Actually, most people just want to go straight to the findings. But <laughs> honestly, Travis, for me, the The back end of putting this report together is really the most important because we're not arbitrarily being like, all right, we're getting a vibe that like California has an A. I mean, we actually apply numeric value to a rubric. Uh, We have 16 little things that we grade. um, We assign points to them. uh, And we really do want to make sure that this is based on concrete laws and policies. So what we do is we look at three things in particular. We look at the laws and policies they have on the books presently. We look at what any legislation was passed during the past year from the previous report. And then, most importantly, we look at implementation because you can have all the pretty laws on the books, but if you're not implementing them, then they're not there. So, um, we spend the entire year, like I'm already starting for next year's report, um, you know, making sure that we really uncover every stone and look at any policies or laws or just even like if a governor, you know, does a press release about something important. um, We just try to get a, a real good balance of what each state is doing. And then again, put that numeric value to it. So it's very concrete and not arbitrary.
0: I love that emphasis on implementation. You're so right. There can be all the laws put out there, or all the the policy decrees that you want, and all the lip service that you want, but if things aren't actually happening on the ground, what what good is it? It's it's no good at all. <laughs> so exactly. Um, and yeah, so we can dive into the findings and uh, love to hear what the what the big narrative is this year. What what are you all saying about the state of the beach?
1: What's interesting. So first of all, thank you for being a fan of this report. I feel like it's like my baby and like every year I birth it. (laughs) And I'm of course obsessed with it because I'm, you know, do so much work on it. Um, But this year in particular over the past five years was really fascinating because we had a major increase in grades. So this year, nine states improved a letter grade, which is very significant. In the past, it's only been like one or two states that have increased by grade level. Now they can change their points, but the points doesn't mean that they get a better grade. So Um, So shockingly, yeah, nine states improved their grades. Georgia had the biggest increase. Hmm. It went from an F to a C minus. And I'll give away the secret to that real quick is they basically have upped their sea level rise planning tremendously. And we can get into kind of the the nuts and bolts of that later. Um, But that's suffice to say, that was a shock to us. Um, I mean, a state trying so hard going from an F to a C minus is very impressive um, the reason why there's some changes is twofold. Uh, climate change is so in our face that I think states have finally been forced to plan for sea level rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the past, states have put their, you know, their head in the sand and thought, okay, you know, we'll see how bad it gets. And, and I mean, Travis, you know, between the fires, the floods, mm-hmm. the tornadoes yesterday, mm-hmm. um, hurricane seasons getting worse and worse, costing billions of dollars. I feel like um, coastal managers are forced into a reckoning right now. And so that's very positive, right? Um, It's also kind of ironic because it's gotten so bad that that's what's prompted people to want to take these situations more seriously. And then a second reason is that these states go to the federal government through NOAA and every year every five years excuse me they put together like a packet that says hey look at all these great things we're doing um and then they show if they've passed a new law or policy or if they're doing something administratively meaning that an agency can change rulemaking without having to go to the legislature and so they say look how great we're doing now give us money and so every five years they change their forms and so again this year a lot of states changed some implementation of their policies, which is great because that doesn't require legislative approval. They've really kind of tightened a lot of nuts and bolts um, this grant season around. So it's it's called the 309 assessment grants and it's way too dorky to get into, but <laughs> those are the two mechanisms that we've seen is I think that climate change has forced policy change and this year, you know, through their own state programs, um, they're really kind of, some states are really really trying to double down, which is fantastic.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. So that's like the big, big takeaway from this year, again, is that states have come up in their grades, a, a nine of them, you're saying, and a lot of what's happening out there is actually starting to to do more planning and hopefully some action on on climate resilience along the coast. that's That's really right. kind of the the nut.
1: It's kind of here. so there's a caveat. Yeah. <laughs> that's the positive takeaway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, of course, the flip side is that 67% of states, Great Lakes states, um, Gulf states, and both seaboards are not prepared. So that's, you know, last year it was 75% of states were not either planning well or prepared for sea level rise. This year it's 67%. So it's better, but the majority of states really do need to improve what they're doing. And that is categorically true.
0: Yeah. So two thirds of states um, are not doing what they not doing enough, right. To get ready for climate. And what, what does that mean to you all? When you, when you say that, you know, when you're saying that they're not, they're not in a good spot.
1: Well, you have great questions? Um, (laughs) well, there's, there's four buckets that we grade, and this is where I'm glad we're now we're getting into the nuts and bolts. So you can kind of see, so we grade on development standards, you know, like, do they have setbacks? Are they, building straight to the coastline. Um, What development standards do they have in place? How do they deal with seawalls, which is coastal armoring, and as you know, that exacerbates erosion and that can be problematic. How are they dealing with sea level rise planning? And then how do they manage their beaches? Like, you know, you guys have beach fill a lot on the East Coast. And and how do they, do they get clean sand? Are they taking care of their beach as well? So in those four categories, you know, we really want to have each category have their own points. and, And oftentimes, Poor development standards are the number one thing holding all these states back. And, you know, it's not just Surfrider that believes this. Zillow did a report a few years ago that looked at um, states that are continuingly trying to build in flood-prone areas like legit brand new buildings. And it's, it's pretty shocking that we are allowing this haphazard development to go into harm's way. So that to me, that's the major takeaway, to be honest. And it's a really kind of nerdy one, but if we don't improve our development standards, then we're going to continue to have these perpetual problems, especially with sea level rise. So um, yeah, I mean, the good takeaway is People are trying, Uh, coastal zone managers are seeing the implications of climate change and are trying to do something, but we really do need to improve the other standards that, you know, again, development, armoring, uh, so that it all kind of coalesces together because as sea level comes, and as you know, you've been studying this and talking about it on your podcast, um, we really need to be prepared and those four mechanisms can help us get prepared.
0: Mm, yeah, great. Hey, don't worry about being wonky or nerdy. You're like in the right place for that. You know, that's uh, I think myself and I think a lot of the audience are, are proud to wear those tags when it comes to water. <laughs> um, I think you might have kind of touched on this a little bit, but like the states that have the really low grades, you know, kind of the worst. Um, what's what's the problem there? Or and if maybe there's some other examples you'd want to touch on, like say, hey, this states in bad, bad shape. And here's why.
1: I'm going to go through the four categories super quick and tell okay. you. Yeah. Um. So let's just look at New Jersey quickly up the coast from you. Mm-hmm. Um. You look at Atlantic City. I my family has um a vacation spot in Seattle City, so it's the southern part of Jersey. New Jersey is built straight up to the coast. They're just right on the edge of development, right? So that's that's not good. So that's so. New Jersey is a perfect example of how they could improve just development standards. Um, Let's look at beach fill. So Minnesota did a beach fill project where they put sand on the beach because it was eroding and they didn't do the proper mechanisms and there were rusty tin cans (laughs) on the beach. So that's horrible management straight up, right? That's another example. Um, And then for sea level rise planning, you look at places like uh, Alabama, they've done nothing to either analyze sea level rise just vulnerability in general, nor do they have any regulations on the books that would protect them outside of sea level rise planning. And then they have zero sea level rise planning. So the sea level rise planning is critical. And then you look at, let's say, lovely California. It's the only state that's had an A the entire time we've done this report, but they are really, some of our regulators are just allowing haphazard armoring to take place. Mm. And that is, again, problematic because when you put up a seawall up on our, your beach, it robs the natural flow of sand. And so you, know, you really are taking public access away or even sandcastle building or if you don't really have um, proper armoring standards in place. So those are four examples in four different states where they need to improve what they're doing. Right. Um, and so it kind of really does shake down into the categories and, and where we see growth and where we see them languishing, really.
0: All right. Thank you. The great examples. Um, I do like to try to focus on the positive a lot on this podcast as well, uh, cause there yeah. is good, good things out there. We want to hold that stuff up. So on the flip side of that question, the States that are doing the best that have great grades, uh, what's going on there? Why, why do they get those good grades? Maybe some examples again.
1: Absolutely. It's so funny because I was immediately gonna to transfer into the positive because I'm like you too. I mean, the climate crisis. If I tell you how much climate science I read on a daily basis, it makes me, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And every computer. like
0: every story you see in the in the traditional media, it's just like bad, bad, bad stuff. And sure, it's out there, and we have to know and be aware. Um, but you know, let's let's hear about progress too.
1: <laughs> exactly, and let's highlight it. Like you said, let's hold it up because it gives examples for other whatever comparisons there are. So yes. So again, California was the only a for the whole time we've been doing this specific version of the report. And then this year, Maine and Maryland guys. And what they did is they per there, they upped protecting environmentally sensitive habitat and habitat that will help buffer sea level rise. So they're really, again, not only just having great development standards, but they improved protecting open spaces environmentally sensitive habitat. They doubled down again on sea level rise planning. Um, I believe it was Maine had an improvement on how they're doing beach monitoring. So every year these states are really improving all their four categories. And they're they're doing some of the hardest ones, as I mentioned, which is, you know, development standards mm. and, you know, not allowing development in these special places. So that's a great example of but, um Maryland and Maine did they both very much had similar tactics this year um, in terms of what they improved you look at California and we can really owe our beautiful coastline because if you if you look up 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 and down our coastline we don't really have the skyscrapers that you know Waikiki mm. or Atlantic City has I mean we we have proper development standards and setbacks comparatively to the rest of the country. And so that was passed in the seventies and it's really guided how our coasts has been or not developed really. Um, and then the other thing about California and not because I live in California, I'm saying (laughs) that, but every single year, the legislature and the governor, they are taking on so much for climate change. It's absolutely amazing. And And a majority of these legislative approaches are being passed and implemented. And that goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning is implementation. So, you know, I think that's if you need to have really the three mechanisms in place, you need to have your agencies like your Coastal Commission or whomever is the regulator on the ground. You need to have the legislature that's, you know, helping pass laws and policies. And then you need to have a governor. That is going to codify these laws and then ensure implementation. So, California is really good. It's like the the dorky school kid for having the best laws on the books <laughs> and has for decades and decades.
0: Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, uh, Maryland is my home state, so I'm happy to oh. hear them jump up in their rankings like that. That's awesome. that's, that's good stuff. Um, uh, turning to my adopted home state, I'm just curious about North Carolina. I, li- I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, so what's what's going on here where I am, so I can be informed?
1: So honestly, North Carolina has been improving incrementally. Okay, so it, there's they're like the tortoise. They're like slow and <laughs> steady, and they keep moving. They're not languishing. They're not going back. They're not making leaps like Georgia, mm. um, but they're trying incrementally to do so. However, it goes back to the sticking point of building in harm's way. Um, the state is one of the most notorious for building in harm's way, um, and so until that practice ceases, um, North Carolina will continue our problems. And it's not just. The present moment of having good standards. What really is important to me is, what is all of this going to look like when sea level rise is taking over our coast? Because it, it tr- again, not to be too, too foreboding, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of science that says these low lying areas, and you all are kind of like sinking on the east coast. You have subsidence, and your outer continental shelf is very different from us on the west coast. So, um, yeah, the, the biggest sticking point there is development. They've actually done some great stuff with sea level rise planning. Uh, and and I give them huge credit because a couple years ago, I don't know if you know this, but the legislature passed a law that said you couldn't even say the word climate change.
0: Isn't that crazy? Couldn't put, yeah. put it
1: into regulatory planning. It was codified in the legislature just no. within the past six years. So.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. I remember I remember that several years ago that that was like not even a word that could or phrase that could be used. And so at least breaking breaking out of that and starting to move forward is good. Um but yeah, I mean that we've had a lot of these king tides lately this fall, right? And uh I've been out there and kind of at the beach in some different places when those have been happening and seen water where I've never seen it before, you know. So that's part of sea level rise combined with these king tides and some storms and it's doing crazy stuff already for sure.
1: That's such a really good point Travis because um on the east coast you all have experienced 150% increase in sunny day flooding and it is and I love that you just put all of the the elements that go into that <laughs> cocktail. It's not just sea level rise, right? There's a bunch of, you know, dynamics that are going into how the ocean is changing and how our weather patterns are changing because of and it's making everything different. Um but yeah, it's interesting to see these king tides on the East coast and how every year, cause we have volunteers go out and document them. We work with the light Hawk, which is an organization yeah. that flies people up and down the coast. Um, and, and just in the, you know, seven years, we've been really trying to document king tides. I myself have seen just an increase across both seaboards.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Um, some of the areas, the, the geographic areas that kind of got bad grades, if you will, uh, the great lakes and the Gulf coast. And I was just kind of wondering about insights into, you know, why, um, maybe not even like what those bad grades are about, but why, why is there a lack of progress when it comes to, you know, doing what's needed to protect the coast in those places?
1: It's a really good question. And I feel like there's a multitude of answers, but I'm going to make it slim. Um, (laughs) I feel like there's not enough political will in these areas to really push the climate change and sea level rise planning that needs to take place. And if you lack a political will in your community, it's, got, it's like pushing a boulder uphill. It's going to take a long time to do so. So we really do. It really does come down to, you know, having your vote counts, right? Like Surf is a non-political organization, right? But, um you know, to ensure that we have decision makers in place that are going to get the political will to push these mechanisms. Another thing that's really important is, is finances, right? Some of these states um, just don't have the finances to hire planners or do vulnerability studies or whatever. And so, you know, they're just kind of scraping by and they don't have the, the resources to do it. And then really, I mean, I, again, not trying to be political here, but the, the previous administration really, really hamstrung all mm. of our states, our coastal states, um, and unfortunately, when, when you have that lack of, of leadership and foresight in places that already lack political will, they almost like slide back a little bit. So, and then finally, the most important reason is because they lack good laws and policies. Hmm. I mean, that's as clear as the crystal bell gets for them is they really need to, again, double down on how they're managing their coastlines and planning for sea level rise.
0: Sure. Um, I have a couple last questions, and and this one maybe wasn't on the list that I gave you ahead of time. But, you know, this idea of planning versus doing, right? Like, it's good that now these, these coastal states are doing more planning, developing adaptation plans, changing policies, and all that stuff. Um, do you foresee a time when your report, when your grading is going to, you know— give them less credit for planning and, and hold their feet to the fire over actually making like changes out there. Yes. <laughs>
1: you want a job? Like I feel like you, can, you get like everything about this report. It's, it's uncanny. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, and someone said to me, are you ever going to change your grading criteria? And I said, we might because hmm. this is what climate change is all about is adaptation, right? We might have to adapt how we look at this. Um, but I think, but, but to your question, it's super important that we do hold their feet to the fire. So, and I put that in the report. So again, Florida has done some really good stuff with sea level rise planning, but they're taking forever to do the rulemaking. So I called them out in the report. I'm like, you passed this legislation two years ago, but we didn't up your grade for it because you haven't done the hard work of writing the rules, right? It's called rulemaking, the Mm. actual statutes that will go into place. Um and it to me it sounds a little bit harsh for myself to say this but it's like greenwashing right like you can pass mm. all the legislation you want but we're going to call you out and so to to your question I do I'm positive that the report is helping and actually some states mentioned our report in their report like surfrider says we're doing this blah 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 so Awesome. There's a po- yeah there's a positive part to it. Um, but I have to say, I am a little bit concerned that in a couple years, we're going to have to, yeah, really hold everybody's feet to the fire because we can't just keep doing the same report and they can't just keep doing the lack of implementation. It's just everybody spinning their wheels at that point. So we will absolutely, you know, ad- be adaptive with this report, whether it's to ensure accountability or if it's, you know, maybe, maybe we were too, um, Hopeful that the federal government would give these many grants for sea level rise planning. So maybe we won't focus, you know, whatever the changes might need to be. But um, the answer is yes. And I fear that we'll have to hold a lot of um, states accountable in the future.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. Kind of pivoting to action a little bit here. the federal government you just mentioned what what's their role in these state policies and state actions? Obviously, they have a role in resources, the the almighty dollar. You know what's 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 kind of the federal picture here? A lot of your grades are going to what the states are doing, but yeah, what's what's the how's the federal government fit into this?
1: Oh my gosh, the federal government is at the nexus of all of this, and you're the yeah. only person who's ever asked that. And again, it's, I'm going to get super dorky, but I'll stay up
0: up top here. <laughs>
1: Um, so it's my favorite law in the books. It's the Coastal Zone Management Act. It's a federal piece of legislation that was passed in the 70s, and it sets up coastal programs. And so um, each state basically has their coastal program, and they have to do all these reporting. And so we actually use one of NOAA's forms from the Coastal Zone Management Act, and take some of their criteria and adapt it to ours. So we're actually using the same criteria that the federal government does, adapted to Surfrider's perspective, in order to give money to these, these communities. Now that is the financial component of it, but if you read the law, it is very descriptive on how states must manage their coastlines. And so it really is a great situation here where you have a piece of federal legislation that's passed, that's decades in the making, that proves to be effective, And that has very clear direction to states on what they should be doing. They update it on a regular basis. Well, Americans vote people in who want to update this. Uh, The the act was updated a couple years ago to include plastic pollution. In the 70s, we didn't have that problem. Mm. So it's really the Coastal Zone Management Act and NOAA that are at the center of this. I like to give the analogy they're like the parents. They're like the grandparents, right? They're like (laughs) like grandparents who let you do everything. And then the states are like the parents and then the municipalities are like the kids. And so it's like, if we don't have all of those family members working together um, at the local level, things can, can go really awry. So it, it is incredibly important that there is both policy implementation and support as well as financial support. Um, and then these agencies are really tremendous. NOAA, NOAA has a lot on its plate. Um, I mean, you, you understand they do everything from you know the, the air to the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, And have been doing so very successfully for decades. So they get a lot of credit for ensuring the states are doing what they're supposed to do. But it also comes to action, as you were saying, it goes back to what we're doing on the ground, right? Like I show up at my city council meeting all of the time being like, hey, where's that vulnerability study? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like an accordion. It has to come from, you know, the very top federal level with substantive policy to, you know, community members caring. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you, you set up my last question perfectly, and that's about <laughs> how this report should be used. You know, Surf Riders got all these members all over the place, uh, lots of other people that are advocates for the coast and the ocean that, that watch what you all do, that hear about this report. So what can they do with this information? What do you want them to do?
1: So, that is th- so it, it's, this report is meant to influence decision makers, but it's really meant for our community members. And so at the end of each state... Um, We have recommendations that we say that the state should do. And really, and inside um, the report, we say use these recommendations, right? A letter to the editor um, saying, hey, I guess North Carolina has some lackluster development standards in place. Or go to your city council and say, hey, there's a recommendation in this report that I read that you haven't done a vulnerability assessment for our coastline. So those recommendations can be pulled out. Um, But because this report has been gaining traction, um we're really trying to hire more people to be honest with you to write white papers and campaign plans for our mm-hmm. states to go out there and do this because you can only ask so much you know for volunteers to do stuff but when you have multiple people on the on the front lines with you doing this you're going to see more change so that's kind of the um the local community we want to be involved and in. that's what Surfrider is we're all local that's why we're so successful is because everybody most of our decisions come from our local, you know, we're kind of the opposite of the Sierra Club where it's like Mm. top down. Mm. So local, local, local all the time for us and giving them tools to do that, which this report has, but even more so this report we're hoping influences federal legislation. So for instance, right now there is the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act. It's a really substantive piece of legislation that's in Congress right now. And we want to show, hey, this report has all these recommendations that are now within this piece of legislation. So let's pass this legislation. So it is, again, that accordion effect of it serves a purpose at the federal level, but it is most importantly used at the local level.
0: Mm. All right. Well, I am going to open it up and look at North Carolina. I'm going to see what the recommendations are in there. I am going to write a letter and send it to the right place then. That'll be my my uh, promise to you in exchange for you coming on the podcast and doing this interview. So appreciate I'll it. I'll take it. Yeah. That's the
1: best I've ever had. We do this all
0: the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely plan to have you back on next year when the 2022 State of the Beach comes out so we can uh, find out what's changed and what's new. But definitely encourage everyone watching and listening to go check out this report, find out what's going on in your state, uh, take action based on it. Um, You know, all of our voices together do create change, right? But uh, Stephanie, awesome stuff. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your podcast and all the important attention you're bringing to so many issues. So thanks again.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Spring Point Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, the innovative water recycling system for homes and businesses. Use water twice with Hydroloop. Learn more at Hydroloop.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.